Hello and welcome to this week's opening bell. I'm Boxing News Editor Tris Dixon, joined as always by Matt Christie, who normally I'd ask how he's doing. He always says he's doing all right, so let's move straight oh, on. I've got, I'm just getting over a cold. Can you just... <laughs> I'm going to have to do take two at this rate. Right, Matt, massive weekend of boxing ahead. Yeah. Um, our lead preview this week is Marcus Maidana against Josecito Lopez. Could be a fight of the year contender. Another one after, you know, we've had Lebedev against Guillermo Jones. We've had Bradley against Provodnikov. We've had Rios yeah. Alvarado too. This could be right in the mix, couldn't it? Yeah, it's one of those where you think the styles will mesh. And I think Lopez, he's probably going to be pretty heavy underdog. But he'll have a lot to prove after that loss to, um, to Alvarez. Um, where he was clearly he was he was outweighed. It was it was a wrong fight for him. You can't blame him for taking it, but he was severely outgunned there. Madonna, who's who's, who's stepping up in weight. Ultimately, this this is this is going to be a far far more evenly matched fight. I think it's Madonna's acid test at welterweight, really. Isn't mm. it? Yeah, yeah, it really is. So I mean, you you mentioned uh, um, about Madonna being a slight favourite. The bookies here, according to Ozcheck, haven't been able to separate them. Oh right, okay. So you know, it's it's, really? it's that, but it's that good of it's that good yeah. a fight. It's that good a fight. So um, yeah, I mean, it's and it's it's the thing is, I think it's the blending styles, isn't it? I mean, Lopez is a warrior, game, hungry, ambitious. Hasn't had the credit he's deserved. Even mm. even even you know when when he beat Victor Ortiz and stunned him in a in a thriller, it was because Ortiz didn't want to fight on because he'd hurt his jaw and then. You know, there was a lot of accusations but kicking around about Ortiz's fighting heart. No one was saying what a good job Josecito Lopez had done. And then, obviously, he got the big money payday against Sal Alvarez to follow up, as you said. But ultimately, it, it wasn't the best fight to take in terms of his career move because mm. I think it was on the cards that he was going to be outweighed and, and eventually battered by the bigger man, which is what happened. So now... He's almost going back to basics, a bit where he was before the Ortiz fight, and he has the chance to to build himself again. Yeah, he does, and I, I, remember, I remember speaking to him shortly after he'd beaten Ortiz, and he was kind of well aware that that despite the fact he'd won that fight, the this, the story of that fight was 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 Ortiz had lost it rather than rather than Lopez had won it. Um, but you know, determined, extremely determined young man. Um, and I think, as I said earlier, he'll have a point to prove. But against Madonna, he's going to be going in with someone. You know, who's 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 known for his for his own will and his own punching power. Um, you know, neck on chopping block. I think I'd probably edge towards Maidana, but it's one of those fights where whatever the outcome is, it's not going to be that much of a surprise. I think I'm going to edge towards Lopez. Okay. And uh, you know, after you picked Martin Gethin to win last week, I think I, I think I think I know where people will be following. Perhaps, perhaps you know we all we all make mistakes. <laughs> apart from you, obviously. <laughs> Are you top of the boxing news prediction? I league? am top of the boxing news prediction league. Yeah, I think I'm four or five points clear. <coughs> okay, all right. <laughs> um, still, on on that note, I do think Lopez Maitana, which is which is on Box Nation, will be an absolute belter. Yeah. Um, I think what's interesting is I'm not sure that Maitana's power has translated all the way up to welterweight. And I think that could be an interesting thing because obviously I don't think he's he's going to be knocking people um, flat the same way he did at light welterweight. No. Lopez, we know, is tough and durable. So I think it could be down to, you know, without wanting to um, reel off a list of cliches, but hunger, desire and ambition. There goes a list of cliches. 
And um, but I do. I think it could be down to that. And it, and and I think work rate as well. And I think Lopez could be the busier man through the fight. Yeah. Um, so my money's on Lopez. But for me, I think the undercard sees a slightly more clear-cut fight with Cuban Arislande Lara fighting Alfredo Angulo. Um, I think it's clear-cut in my mind, and I'll tell you which way I'm going in a minute. Which way? Which way are you going for that fight? Uh, Lara. Lara, I just think he's got. I think he's got the. He's got it, in in a similar way that you can guarantee, not guarantee, but in a similar way that that Madonna and Lopez f- will mesh to create a, a a nice mix of styles. It almost looks like Lara's got the style to beat Angulo. Big fan of Angulo. Like the way he fights. He's slightly crude. Uh, Lara's anything but. Um, and I think he'll, he'll put it together, um, and 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 beat Angulo quite convincingly. But you can't write Angulo off, can you? I mean, he looks he looks like a 1970s kind of horror movie. It's like a Quentin Tarantino. He, he just, yeah, he looks like an absolute sort of raging lunatic at the moment. But I'm a big fan of his look. Big fan of his look <laughs> at the moment. That's how all boxers Very envious look. of his hair as well. I've got over that, Tris. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I think I think you're right. I, th- I, I, think, um, I think it's Lara's fight to lose. I think provided he can stay disciplined, stick to a game plan, he should handily outbox um, Angulo, and I'm thinking by something like nine rounds to three, mm, something mm. something along those lines. I just think Angulo's looked really one-dimensional, on one-paced since he had that massive um, period of inactivity when he had all the immigration problems yeah. a year or two ago. I'm not sure he was the same fighter since. I'm not sure he was all that good in the first place, if I'm being honest. You know, in terms of my assessment, I've never been massively sold on him. I watched his last fight. I was ringside there when he fought Jorge Silva in the uh, in Los Angeles on yeah. the same bill that Amir Khan fought Carlos Molina and Angulo that was sort of pretty one-paced, pretty one-dimensional, um, didn't do anything out in the ordinary. Um, and he's obviously, not only has he had that period of ad- inactivity, but he had his bubble burst quite badly by James Kirkland in in that shootout in one of the best fights last year. Yeah. Was it the year before? I think it was the year before. Yeah, in 2011, uh, when he lost in the sixth round to Kirkland, who who we know is a puncher, but who, like Angulo, is, is rather one-paced and one-dimensional. Mm. Um, so, yeah, Lara on points for me. Yeah, I'd, 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 have, to, I'd have to agree, completely or, agree. Or, you know, Lara, who's got 11 stoppages in his 17 wins, could bust him up, couldn't he? Yeah, yeah, it's feasible. It's feasible. I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd edge towards a points win, a lopsided points win for, for Lara. But, yeah, it's not out of the question that there'll be a stoppage there. Angulo do, you, do, you, do, you, do you give Angulo anything more than just the puncher's chance? I was just going to say that the puncher's chance is where is where is where you sort of spread your bet, wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, you know, Angulo sort of maybe in six ra- round six to ten if he starts to get. Excuse you. If he starts to get a bit desperate, maybe in round six to nine, so give him a puncher's chance. But if he's still in there by round ten, I think he'll be what Teddy Atlas calls a game quitter. And mm. someone who's sort of there boxing to last the distance and 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 survive rather than someone who's still got that ambition and, and throwing rockets like he was in the in the early rounds so i d- i don't give him anything more than a puncher's chance because angulo's not he's not a guy who's massively busy he's not a guy who's going to throw 150 punches yeah. around um he's trained by virgil hunter i've got my own ideas about virgil hunter that don't seem to corroborate with a lot of other people's ideas i, d- I don't see 
the improvements he's made with Amir Khan and and um, there's different things that you know um, I think I wonder if we would all be talking about Hunter in such growing terms if he didn't have Andre Ward. Well, I think I, th I think in terms of his 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 reputation is in its infancy, isn't it? And it's all from Andre Ward, and I think you can't really judge him until maybe five six years down the line, and he's he's got some results or he hasn't with these guys. But yeah, yeah, very, very, yeah you're right, and I mean it'd be interesting to see because there's so much potential with Angulo because he's so raw and so rugged. Mm that we will be able to see how, how, how much Hunter's work, in, how much his work with them's paid off because they've been together sort of eight or nine months now. So let's see if there's a more polished Angulo and, you know, the proof of the pudding, as they say, is in the eating. And, and um, you know, that before before we start saying this, that and the other, then let's see what they deliver in the ring. Yeah. The thing is, what I don't like it then is if you, if you do say, well, you know, after the event, people say you're wise after the event. But, you know, for me... Um, yeah, as a trainer, he hasn't proved um, he hasn't proved what he's what he can do with anyone apart from Andre Ward yet. No, no, I, I agree, I agree, I agree. I think, but as I say, I think it's still, I think the jury's still out on on Hunter. But I completely understand what you're saying about him. Um, but maybe, maybe, maybe he will work miracles with Angulo. Mm. Maybe, maybe we will in time see see what he's trying to do with Khan. Yeah. Um, and and then we'll see it in in two or three years. But I think it's too soon. It's too soon at the moment to, to judge. Okay. Um, so on Box Nation, it's a bit of a boxing fest, isn't it, on Saturday night? How, yeah. how it should be, really, because before that, they've got another possible fight of the year contender. <laughs> yeah. When Marco Hook and Olaf Alabi come, come to blows for the third time, and they've produced two corkers, yeah. you wouldn't mind me saying. And, <laughs> and they've, they've, they've had two belters, haven't they? And... It's hard to imagine this going any other way, isn't it? Yeah, I mean we've got, we've got we've got the benefit of of having two previous fights with which to 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 make a judgment on how we think the third one's going to go in terms of entertainment value, and you'd think this one is just going to is just going to be be the same. Um, I think you know, there's an argument, and I think the argument is getting stronger that Hook isn't the fighter he was even 18 months ago. Um, there's certainly some decline there. Um, whether they trip up to heavyweight. And then back down again has 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 had an effect. I'm not sure. Or what. He's, he's been in he's been in a long, long run of of hard fights, Marco Hook, um, and perhaps perhaps Afalabi. Perhaps it's Afalabi's time. But I think whichever way whichever way it goes, we're gonna have it's gonna be fun to watch. I think Afalabi always the bridesmaid, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, he is. I mean, this is this is his third try, isn't it? I mean, I remember when he knocked out. Um, I remember watching it. In um, a bar in Southampton. What was the main event that night when when Afalabi knocked out um, Macronelli? What fight was I waiting for? Um, was it Khan Barrera? I feel or Khan Katelnik? Or so, was it something Maybe it was Khan Barrera. I'm not sure. What was the main event that night? Anyway, anyway. I remember. I should remember. I was yeah, there. Yeah. I remember. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. But I remember also no. that Enzo was on such a bad run that he got destroyed by Lebedev on a on a similar bill on a car and undercard. But I the think the Afalabi fight came was was kind of the beginning. It was it was not when it was it was wasn't clear that he was on this bad run, wasn't it? That was a no, bit of a shock. Yeah, 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 yeah. Definitely, he was in there pitching and sort and of fighting and, yeah. and winning rounds and what have you. So um, yeah, hold on, I'll just find that out. I'm sure. I feel I'm sure like I feel like it was jumping up and down and say, "Don't you remember that?" Yeah, I, I feel like it was Amir Khan. 
I'm not sure. Anyway, yeah. So I mean, Afalabi, I think this is this is with with all that in mind, is is his best chance um, of of scooping some gold. Yeah, it was Car- yeah, it was Carl Barrera right, right. on a bill where Nicky Cook fought Roman Martinez and Bradley Price fought Matthew Hall. That was a quite a grueling knockout as well when when uh, Matthew Hall took out Bradley Price in two rounds. That happened right in front of me. I think I think if um, if you were to study it hard enough, and I know what you like, Matt, you might <laughs> see me ringside as, as um, Price hit the deck um, in that one. I covered that fight with with uh, former editor Claude Abrams. But yeah, back to back to um, what we're talking about here, Afalabi and Huck. The interesting thing I've seen in terms of the quotes from Huck this week are that he thinks that he lost the motivation for the second Afalabi fight, having been up to um, heavyweight and Avetkin. He thought he lost. He thought he thought he didn't. He didn't. Maybe there was something lacking from his from his performance. So I think the thing about that is I'm not, like you, like you say, I think there could be some actual decline in, in Huck there. I also think that he raised his game above any other level that he could have done for Povetkin. And he fought a Povetkin who was completely demotivated and probably didn't really want the fight. Mm. Um, so I thought we saw the best Huck and probably the worst Povetkin that night. Yeah, I agree, yeah. Which produced a, a great fight. Let's, yeah. let's uh, make, make no bones about it. But ultimately, I think Huck... Um, is going to be, I just can't see him, I can't see any other outcome apart from him getting a really gruelling, tough decision victory over Afalabi. Well, you think Afalabi will... No, I Sorry, you think Huck will win on points. I think I'd, I'd, I'd go with that. I was thinking about it this morning on the way into work, Huck Afalabi. And it's a difficult one. You can make a case for Afalabi getting it this time, um, but I think you'd... I think you would have to go. You would have to go with the champion you to know, retain. If if um, if Afalabi won, that would level the series with one win for Huck, one win for Afalabi, yeah. and a draw. So you'd have to have a fourth fight. But if this is resolved on Saturday night, it's a shame that people won't talk about this as one of the great trilogies, isn't it? Because it's just not. It just hasn't seemed to capture the wider imagination no, has it? no. I think I think it may be. It may be. It's, it'll certainly be thought of fondly within. The trade. Yeah, within the trade, within the hardcore fans and the hardcore followers, certainly. Um, I mean, we'll see what happens tomorrow. It may be, you know, tomorrow may be an even more memorable um, fight than, than the previous two, and it may get some more may get some more spaces in the media f- for which... But what I was thinking this morning was, um, it's not that often that when a fighter has... If that it's, you know, a fighter will have one fight or lose, he'll have another fight and he won't win. It's not very often they get a third bite of the cherry. I was thinking, how many fighters have had that third chance after not winning either of the first two and then come back and won? The first one that came to mind was was Jersey Joe Walcott against Ezard Charles. Mm. But I just couldn't think of that many more. And I think if Afalabi if, if does, does win this one, I think he should get a lot of credit mm. for, for, for beating a guy that he hasn't beaten in two previous encounters. Yeah, definitely. And I think... One of the things that you say you you mentioned in terms of in terms of people getting a third crack. I mean, one of the reasons why Afalabi's getting a third crack is not just because he's he's shown that he deserves to be in there with Huck, but people buy into these um, these series, these trilogies, yeah, as if they're you know as if it's like Star Wars or Police Academy or something. Yeah. You see part one, you see part two, and you want to see the rest, like Pacquiao mm. Marquez. 
you know, Pacquiao Marquez, people who watch those, the first two or three fights, they might not have just been boxing fans. They might mm. have just been fans who, who want to watch those guys mm. fight. And I could see that. I mean, this is already, basically what I'm saying is these guys are playing to a captive audience. The people who, the people who saw Huck and Afalar be one and two will want to watch the third one, no question. And so, they, you know, they, they don't have to promote as heavily as they might do, do they? No, 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 of course not. And, that, and that's, that's what I said at the start. They, we have got the benefit of those two fights, the first two fights, with which to, with which to see, you know, with which to make a judgment on how entertaining this one is going to be. And it's, it's, like, it's like, you know, if, if Froch and Kessler hadn't fought before, that wouldn't have been the event that it was. Yeah. And that's and it's it's similar with with Afalabi and Hook. Interesting, you should say that. Actually, if we can, we should pick that pick up on that later on about Froch Kessler and people people doing that. Because I was speaking to Elliot Wurzel yesterday, David Hayes biographer, and we we can go back to this later on. But he said that the atmosphere, obviously, that was brilliant. It was from the moment Froch's music kicked in, it was brilliant, and no one thought about anything mm. else apart from the fight. But the interesting thing when Froch fought Lucien Boutte was that. He was stepping into the unknown. And it had Kessler and Froch not, not boxed before. And I wonder if there would have been more mystery and intrigue the week of the fight. Do you know mm, what I'm saying? Mm. So, so that, you know, it really caught fire when Froch's music hit. But before then, going up to that point, was there much intrigue and mystery about it? It wasn't because everyone kind of knew what was on the cards. Yeah, there may have been more mystery and intrigue, but I think some, sometimes that's not always, you know, that doesn't always translate into into thrills and spills on the night, does it? And I think we all knew that, that, that Froch Kessler too yeah. would be a good fight. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I think that's really what it was built on, wasn't it? The, the brilliance of the first fight, the, 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 the strength of character of both of these guys. And we knew that. Okay, well, let's pick up, we can pick back up on that later on. Uh, we got some questions from yours from Twitter to, to ask or to answer um, shortly. Um, but while the, while Huck Afalabi and um, the Maidana Lopez show are both on Box Nation, Sky are dipping their toes back into some international action on Saturday night or in the early hours of Sunday morning. And they've got a double header that pits light heavyweights Chad Dawson against Adonis Stevenson. And then they've got lightweight Cuban uh, Yorijos Gamboa against Dali Perez, the Colombian puncher. So first things th first, um, Dawson Stevenson. Two years ago, you probably would have said Dawson takes a decision. Maybe schools a guy who's a puncher, but older, slightly more rugged and slightly more one-versed than, than Dawson, who's quite adaptable and very skillful. The X factor here is that Dawson is moving back up to light heavyweight, having boiled himself right down to the, to the bowels of what his body would carry, 168 pounds to fight Andre Ward. And we've seen in the past guys who've boiled themselves down haven't been the same when they've gone back up to their weight class, have they? No, and we've seen it so many times, um, and we, we we touched on it, touched on it then with, with with Hook, but I don't think that was really anything. You know, I don't think that was that that was an issue really with Hook, but we've seen it when people do it, and and Ward and John Scully, who who's been Dawson's on and off trainer, who's trained, he was training for the Ward fight has said, and I don't think it's sour grapes because he says a lot of positive stuff as well about Chad, but he just said, yeah, this could be a concern going into this fight because he was, because the extent of, of boiling down in weight. He was 100, 184 pounds when they arrived, um, and then five, or sorry, 182 pounds, I think, when they checked, when they weighed in. And then f after four weeks of intense training in the heat, he'd put on two pounds. 
and he was 184 and this and the fight's getting closer and closer and it's looking unlikely that he's going to get down eventually he manages to get down in weight but you can just imagine the pr what his body went through the trauma his body went through even though it's only a short space of time sometimes people don't get over that physically they don't get over that and they don't know that they haven't got over that until they're in the midst of a fight um, so we'll see whether Stevenson is, is the man to bring it out. The thing I'm concerned, Stevenson is a renowned banger. I remember Manny Stewart used to always go on about how, how much of a puncher Adonis was. He used to compare him to Thomas Hearns, the noise of the punch in the gym and, and, and what have you, and the damage that it would do to sparring partners. Um, but he's also coming up in weight, isn't he? Um, so it's a, it's a huge... Although it's kind, of a, it's kind of a step into the unknown a little bit for Dawson as to how his body's going to react. But for Stevenson... It's a massive, it's a massive, massive step, massive step up in class. Not to say he won't, he won't, he won't swim once he gets there, but let's, you know, let's see what happens. Yeah, I mean, where, where would you put, where would you put your money? The bookmakers, um, bookmakers do favour Dawson to an extent. So, where would you put your money? Um, I think you'd have to go for, I mean, Dawson, Dawson by unanimous decision. I would say that's probably the the, the shortest odds for that outcome. Yeah. Yeah, I'd, I'd say the same. Um, obviously, um, Stevenson, I think, will maintain a puncher's chance until the end. I think it is his big chance. But ultimately, I think it is about levels, or it should be about levels. And if that's the case, then Dawson wins. The X factor is, obviously, let's see what Dawson's got left. And it'll be interesting to see what he has got left, because if Dawson's not the fighter he was before he fought Andre Ward, and Tony Bellew could be licking his lips, couldn't he? Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I think Tony Bellew's going to have his eyes very closely on this fight. Um, he's in line to fight the winner. And as you say, if there's any sign of deterioration from Dawson, um, if, if he gets past Stevenson and Stevenson gives him a real hard time, but, but you know, Dawson emerges victorious, then, then yeah, that's all the better for Tony. I was um, with Dawson in Vegas recently, and... Um, he was saying how much he regretted the, the, the ward fight and how, how his mouth wrote a check, his body couldn't cash. Um, and he seemed sort of really regretful that he took that fight. And I think for what he put his body through, I, it does make you wonder if, if that is a process that his body can't naturally reverse. Um, that said, you know, he looked, he looked in good shape in, in Las Vegas. He was, he was in, in fine form in the gym. Um, and... Like you say, though, it's just going to be hard to tell, isn't it? Until the bell goes and we see what's in there, um, it's going to be t it's going to be tough to see what he's got left, isn't it? It's not like it, it's not like he hasn't been around. I mean, you guys fought Hopkins twice, fought Glenn Johnson twice, fought Adamek. Antonio Tarver twice. First guy to beat to uh, yeah. Thomas Adamek. So you know he's been around and had and fought good fighters, and he's he, until he fought Ward, he was arguably quite underrated. Now. He was underrated beforehand. Now people just seem to have discounted him. It's amazing that they've discounted him, like he said, and he's still lightweight champion of the world. It's. I think it's unfair, really, that that that, that people are discounting. Basically, he took a chance, didn't he? Yeah. He took a chance in that Ward fight. Obviously, when the fight was signed, when all, everything was laid went out. Went to his hometown as well. Yeah, went to went towards hometown. He knew the odds were stacked against him, and you know, however big the check was that he was paid, and I, you know, I. I think that that's the mark of a fighter yeah. that he did that. He went to Ward's hometown. He gave up every feasible advantage. And he didn't have to do that because he was like heavyweight champion of the world himself. Yeah. He was like, yep, okay, I'll come down in weight seven pounds. And he did that. 
and that is the mark of a fighter. So I think we should give 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 Chad a lot of credit for that, mm. for doing that. We should also give Chad a lot of credit for what he's achieved so far. Okay, he's not the prettiest fighter in the world in terms of his style. It's not. It's it's he's, he's not a thrilling fighter. You're not gonna. You know what you're gonna get really with Chad. Um, but that doesn't mean he's not effective. And he's been the most consistent light heavyweight. Probably you could argue what of the last what six seven years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and certainly, certainly, what he's achieved at light heavyweight is is better than what, say, Joe Calzaghe achieved at light heavyweight. So you could possibly make a case of saying, um, you know, when when did Roy Jones when did Roy Jones Roy Jones was light heavyweight champion? What two thousand three, two thousand four? You could make a case of saying Dawson has achieved more in this century than any other light heavyweight. Yeah, you um, can make that case. So I think we should give Dawson credit, um, and we'll see what happens against Stevenson. Stevenson's not like if, I think if Stevenson was say 21 22 I'd be a lot more excited about him but he's not he's no spring chicken himself is he No what is he 38 is he I don't think 35? he's quite that 35? old 35 35 I think yeah So his chance and he I think what you say as well is he, he hasn't boxed anyone near this level before possibly in the gym Yeah he's boxed boxed no one near this level so it's an acid test for both and uh, it should be it should make for compelling viewing one way or another Maybe one for the purists rather than, rather than, rather yeah. than a crash bang. Yeah, yeah, I think so. so. I think. I mean, I'm I'm really looking forward to to watching this one, this the Dawson yeah. Stevenson fight. So there's so many questions that could be answered. So I mean, yeah. it's, there's intrigue, isn't there? Which is interesting. Yeah. So, however, there could be fireworks on the undercard, as Yuriochis Gamboa, most people's favourite fighter today. Uh, fights Colombia's Dali Perez, who, who who's a puncher. We know that Gamboa has tasted the canvas a few times. Looks like fireworks could be on on tap once again for Gamboa. He's one of those fighters, isn't he? He's one of those fighters. He's almost like the opposite of Dawson. Um, I mean, if 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 Gamboa adopted kind of what 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 Chad Dawson does sometimes, I think he'd he could look almost unbeatable. But it's that. It's that kind of vulnerability and his willingness to get into a scrap that that, that makes him so, you know, so exciting. Um, but I st I've still got a feeling about Yorio Kaskembo. I remember when I watching him when he turned professional. He'd made, you know, he'd, he'd made the step away from Cuba, um, and there was a real excitement. I remember watching him being convinced that that Yorio Kaskembo would go on to be an all-time great. He I was, was convinced. One, wasn't he? he was yeah. the one Cuban who was going to ascend to. Uh, above what yeah. any other Cuban had done before, wasn't yeah. he? Yeah, I was absolutely convinced. And in the pros, I mean. Somewhere along the line, I think I think we're going back now, 2000, 2006, 2007. And he still hasn't had that defining fight. He's 31 years old now. And you question, he's at a stage of his career where potentially he may not be getting any better. I'm not saying there's any evidence of a decline there. I'm not saying that for one second. However, he's at the, sta he's at the point of his career now where he should be in these... These these top, I mean, what is he going to be? What is he? Is he going to be the undercard? Uh, is he going to be the chief support? He should be. He should be out in Las Vegas selling out by now. Yeah. Not selling out. I mean, selling out stadiums yeah, by yeah. now. Selling out arenas by now. Yeah, I, s I see your point. I mean, what? How do you? How different do you think it could have been after he chinned Rogers Matagua in 2010? If he was paired with Juan Manuel Lopez before Lopez slipped up. If Gamboa had fought Lopez in that fight that everyone was sort of licking their chops for, <laughs> who, and, he, and he'd done a job on Wanmar, which with hindsight you'd have to speculate that he could mm. well do, although at the time Lopez was massively dangerous and a, and a knockout artist to boot. Um, 
if he'd done a job on Lopez, how different could his tr career trajectory could have been? I think it would have been hugely different. I think we've seen with, with a lot of fighters, it just takes that one fight. You win that one fight and then you're there. Kawasaki Lacey, for instance. Exactly, exactly. And that's the fight. And that's, that's the, that was the fight. I mean, f I think I remember, what was it, 2009, 2010, something like that. That was, that was, a, that was on, on the top of most boxing fans' wish list, Gam Gamboa And I think you're right, yeah. With hindsight, Gamboa perhaps the more, the more, accomplished, the more accomplished of the two and would have, would have emerged victorious. But... Is it down to Gamboa himself that he hasn't that he hasn't made this he hasn't made the step up? I don't know. I don't know. But I, I sense that we're never going to see Gamboa in that kind of fight. Well, I think in terms of in terms of what you're saying, there's two things there. Um, Gamboa's manager Tony Gonzalez said to me the other day that um, they would be willing to come and fight over in this country on a Ricky Burns undercard with the idea of fighting Ricky Burns down the line, and that shows you that, that what kind of position they're in, how frustrated they are and how tough it must be for them to match Gamboa, who no one really wants to fight because he's not a massive draw. And, and you know, it's one of those risk-reward things. You're going to get filled in against him and, and probably quite in quite spectacular fashion. And unless he brings something heavy to the table, then people aren't going aren't to risk anything against him. And I think Dali Perez, also a member of the sort of Who Needs Him club with 28 wins, mm. 19 knockouts, I think it's a it's a it's it's a potentially really explosive fight, and I think Gamboa's got a point to prove. With what you say with regards to Gamboa's promotion, he was he was the love child, wasn't he, in the tug of war between Floyd Mayweather and Fifty Cent? Yeah, yeah. And so he sort of fell between the cracks to an extent, and then he showed up on the Pacquiao undercard, um, where he had that up and down war with Michael Freenas. That was his last fight. Um, he made that a lot tougher than I thought felt it needed to be. Not that I was complaining, but this is where this is where Fifty Cent will have to prove himself, wouldn't he? He's got to try and make Gamboa a star. Yeah, and he's got the core ingredients of a star there. He really has. He's got an, an exciting fighter, um, but it's it's going to be a tricky one. I, it's, I now and again, but you mentioned you mentioned Calzaghi. Calzaghi was was mid thirties when he eventually made that step up, um, or he eventually got that respect when he beat someone when he beat someone who was perceived to perhaps be better than him in Jeff Lacey. Um, but Gamboa with his style, I, c I can't see him going on for years and years and well, years. Yeah, I think it's got to be in the next 18 months Those at, fast, the most. explosive fighters yeah. don't hit their peak at 36, 37, no, do they? No, no, no. You know, they arguably do it at 26, 27, not 31, which yeah. is what Gamboa is now. Yeah, yeah. So okay, well that's that's uh, almost we're almost there with um, this weekend's um, action round um, preview roundup. There is a big there is a show at Glow, isn't there? Hennessy Sports promoting Channel Five, quite a late late notice gig by comparison to the others, which have been set in stone for a while. Um, James Gale, pleased to see him back in the ring so quickly after his quick uh, brief win in Canada the other day. I think what James has always wanted is is to be in the ring as often as possible, um, and he's getting that at the moment. The opponent, you could argue, is is slightly disappointing. He's he hasn't beaten anybody like the level of De Gale, um, and it would be a massive upset if he was to to break that against De Gale. Um, but but he's not, you know, he's not he's no he's no walkover, um, and it's it's good to see De Gale active. And I think if if he's having these kind of rather than 
what you do often see with, with, with fighters is that they will just wait around for a so-called big fight or you know, promoters will get them to, to just wait around for a so-called big fight. It's good to see DeGale, who is world-class, I think, um, staying busy. And then when, when, when the opportunity for that big fight comes along, He's, he's, he's ready to take it, and I, th I'm, I, th I think this is a. It's good to see him out again. Yeah, he's fighting um, a Croatian-based uh, Stepan Botsic, who's 38 years old, has a record of 26 wins against six defeats, yeah. holds an amateur victory over Carl Froch, yeah, yeah. Um, but who's been on the B side of his career for for a while, and he was stopped in two rounds by Arthur Abraham a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, but like you say, for a late-notice opponent, you know they're not going to get George Groves in at two weeks' notice. No, of course they're not. No, of course they're not. I think I think you DeGale will win inside inside. Well, in the first half, I think I think you could, that's that's a reasonable expectation. Um, but the crucial thing is if 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 he has a couple of fights like this and they build to something like I don't know a Groves rematch or whatever or. You know they've got their eyes on Frotch or another another world champion at super middleweight. I think I don't think there's any harm in taking these kind of fights. It's not like he's going in with a guy who who is one and forty six and has been knocked out twenty seven times. And you know it's he's, he's at least he's going in there with someone who who knows his way around the boxing ring. Kid Galahad also on the bill and Chris Eubank Jr. Um, just one, just one quick question about Eubank Jr. Will he f follow in his father's footsteps and become a world champion? It's a huge question. It's a huge question. If the answer is yes, it's an even bigger answer, isn't it? Um, it's a good line, Matt. You should save that for. <laughs> <a minute. laughs> um, I think will it? Will he? Um, I'd to following Chris Eubank's footsteps is it's 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 such such a difficult task, but. Sometimes people, sometimes, um, you know, those that are related to the famous, they'll find that, they'll find that a bit of a, a chain around their neck. But whereas Eubank Jr., he seems to revel in it. Mm. Um, he, he'll enter the ring in the same way as his dad did. He, he'd enter the same music. He's got the same mannerisms. He, he actively seeks to impersonate his father. I think his style in the ring is different. Um, but he's got a good chance, and I've been impressed with what I've seen so far. Um, will he be a world champion? Will he notch up as many defences as, as his dad? I'd be surprised. Yeah. I think a key for these guys coming through, including Degel, who who you wouldn't obviously class as a prospect, but um, it's just activity. You know, and there's there's so a lot of fighters in, in British boxing who just aren't getting out as often as they should, as regularly as they should. And, and it's sad to see, isn't it? Because obviously the guys do have mouths to feed and families and, yeah. and they've got to put bread on the table. But also in terms of what these guys could potentially be, a lot of it is down to what they do in the early days. You know, I don't want to use it as a, as a regular example because it's not. But if you think of a young Mike Tyson who boxed sort of 12 or 15 times a year for the first couple of years, uh, you know, in and around those, that frequency, <laughs> You know, that's where he learned the trade and he did so under the radar, fighting regularly all the time, getting used to his surroundings, trying different things that he learned in sparring, in the ring. That's what it's all about, isn't it? It's getting out regularly, get becoming familiar with the surroundings and then stepping up fight by fight. Yeah, I know. I mean, you look at... I know, I know, I agree, and I've thought that before with Tyson. You look back on that that spell. That's, he turned professional in 1985. By the end of 1986, he was world champion, but he had had... I don't know, approaching 30 fights or something, or 25 fights at that point. 
And it was a case of, right, he's, that fight's done, let's get the next one. That fight's done, let's get the next one. Yeah. Doesn't matter. You know, and there was a steady progression on who he was fighting. Um, and we do see now, and in like what you said, I mean, DeGale, he has, what, when did he turn professional? 2008? Yeah, and he hasn't had the amount of fights that he should have done. In 16 f- fights in, in, in five years. Yeah. It's, that's not enough fights. That's, well, like you say, I mean, Tyson had that in one year. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's incredible, isn't it, when you yeah, think of it like yeah. that? And, and uh, I mean, I just think that for their development, you know, it goes, there's obviously deeper questions involved here when you when you look at people like the girl who obviously command a big payday for, for a fight because of his Olympic gold medal. But you look at, you end up looking at how boxing's structured um, and, uh, you know, even along the lines of wage caps for four-rounders or six-round mm. fights so that people have to get out there and keep active to try and be the best they can be. Mm. Because, you know, to get, as Frank Warren alluded to this week in the issue, DeGale didn't need to fight eight or ten times a year financially. You know, he was fine to box four times no, a year. No, no, Yeah. So, but um, still, interesting points. But um, good to see him out. Good to see Eubank Jr. out. And Huey Fury, actually, who I think has had about four or five fights in a couple of months now, hasn't he? Yeah, exactly, and that's he's he's going, he's doing what I like to see, and that's I think, I think credit to uh, credit to the promoters there, credit to what they're trying to do with Huey, and he's he's fighting all around the world, um, and that's 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 great to see, and that's exactly what a young prospect should do. Yeah, okay. Now we'll just have a pause now to uh, have a brief word from our sponsors, and we'll be right back. William Hill, sponsors of the Opening Bell podcast. Bet twenty five pounds and get a twenty five pound bet free. Bet now with WilliamHill.com. Hello, welcome back to the opening bell. Um, Matt, so we said on Twitter that we would answer some questions. Um, let's go f- through a few of these. Some might um, cross over onto where we we uh, go a little bit later on in the podcast. Um, let's start here with Rob McParshan. Um who says, do you think the Frampton move is a good one? What on earth is going on with Scott Quigg? Is it Hatton's fault? So there's three parts to that. Do you think that the Frampton move is a good one? Do you want to take that? Yeah, yeah. Okay, you take that and I'll do the next part. Okay. Um, I think I think the thing with, with Frampton is, I think if he's going to be fighting regularly, I think that's a crucial thing. It seems that, that, that he, he kind of reached... He reached a point after he won the European title with a brilliant performance against Kiko Martinez. And then it kind of went quiet and you were kind of wondering what was going on. I mean, obviously they want, I think predominantly they want they want the platform for Carl. Um, they want um, the world to see what's going on with Carl. Um, and they've, ch- they've chosen Box Nation um, and they've chosen, they've chosen Frank Warren. Um, I, I think Carl has got the ability. I think he's got a manager with Barry Wigan who's got the belief in him. Um, to be honest with you, is the move any better than where he was? I don't know, but if they can all work in harmony and get and get Carl fighting regularly, um, then yes, it will be a good move. Yeah. Uh, the second part of his question: What on earth is going on with Scott Quigg? Is it Hatton's fault? Now I know that we 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 sort of pledge not to talk politics, but this, these are the questions that we've been asked. Um, what's going on with Scott Quigg? Well, not a lot's been going on with Scott Quigg in the ra- in the ring. Um, he hasn't boxed, I don't think, since he beat Rendell Monroe in September on on the Hatton Senchenko bill. Um, from what I hear, he's going to have a new manager bef- sooner rather than later, um, and 
he could well have a new promoter. Is it Hatton's fault? Is it Hatton's fault that they haven't got TV? Um, you know, I, I don't know. It's tough, isn't it? I mean, Ricky's got a strong stable now, but you can see them starting to. You could see them starting to leave if things stay like this, stay like this. I see Martin Murray's called out Carl Froch this week, which is quite interesting to see because it shows that he's keen to stay active and stay busy after the Martinez fight. Um, Ricky's done a good job of getting his fighters out here, there, and everywhere. He's had Ryan Burnett boxing in Liverpool. He's got him boxing in Ireland soon. Um, he had Buckland, who was men a fight on the Argentina bill. Unfortunately, th that didn't happen. Um, he had... Um, uh, what else he had lined up? He obviously had Martin Murray fight on that bill. Um, he's had Rabchenko, who's boxed on, on the bill in Monte mm. Carlo. So he was getting his fighters out on other people's shows, which is good. Ultimately, it's going to be very hard to be a, a successful promoter without a TV deal. Uh, I can see Scott Quinn moving um, sooner rather than later. Uh, I, I, could, I don't know which way he would go. I would assume that there would be three people bidding for his surfaces. One I would see as Matchroom, two I would see as Frank Warren, and three I would see as Golden Boy Promotions. Um, that's pretty much all I can say on that, Rob, to be honest. Um, so what on earth is going on with Scott Quigg? My guess is he'll be fighting within about six weeks, six or eight weeks, and then he'll probably fight ideally for Scott twice more before the end of the year, but I could see a change of the guard. Um, whether it will happen, I don't know, but I think it probably will. We've got uh, a second question similar from uh, Brad um, asking, is Carl Frampton a good or bad decision to leave Matchroom? Um, like you, Matt, I can sort of see both sides, really. I s good or bad decision? Ultimately, ultimately we'll, f we'll find out, won't we, if it's a good or bad decision. I thought Sky, and obviously Matchroom worked very close to Sky, had put a lot of resources but behind Frampton, Bellew, and... Um, a few others who they've done big documentaries on and, and done a lot of coverage on. Um, I know certain people in, in the Frampton camp disagree with that, which is, is fine. It's their prerogative. I think what's interesting, actually, about what Barry McGuigan is doing with um, Frampton is he's taking Carl back to the people of Belfast. He's got his debut. He's got this London fight on in, in July. Then he's going to take him back to the people of Belfast and give him to the people of Belfast. And I think what they're going to do there is create a real brand, the same way that Hatton was created in, in Manchester. And now Frampton is known to the wider public. People will be keeping an eye on his progress over there. But he's already massively famous and well-known in Ireland. So it doesn't matter what the rest of the world thinks. P if, if he's big enough in Ireland, the rest of the world will follow at some point. And I think that's the, how it was with Ricky Hatton. He was built in Manchester. He was massive in Manchester. And eventually the mountain came to Mohammed rather than mm -hmm. Mohammed going mm -hmm. to the mountain. And I think they think they can make Frampton a big enough star for that to happen. Uh, obviously, it happened with Barry. So, I mean, let's see. Um, um, good or bad decision to leave Matchroom? My initial reaction was, was I was shocked. Uh, but now, with having, having had a long talk with Barry about it, I can, I can kind of see where they're coming from. So, um, let's see how it goes. Um, Matt, a couple on this, a couple on this uh, next subject actually. One from Paul Merrifield. Would you put Groves in with Kessler? Um, right now, this tomorrow, yeah. 
Oh yeah, because Kessler's on <laughs> holiday. Kessler's yeah, on holiday till Kessler, July. Yeah, Kessler's on holiday till July, and probably probably not in fight mode. So I'd give I give Groves a chance. Now that's probably being a bit disrespectful to George. I think, it, to be honest with you, it makes sense, doesn't it? It makes sense. But I think that perhaps at this point, if I was if I was Eddie Hearn, I would I'd still think Kessler he needs something in between the level that he's at now and Kessler. Kessler proved that he's one of the best super middleweights in the world and he's in that top three. And I think that top three, at the moment, are above anything else. That's not to say those below can't reach that top three, but at the moment, they're, 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 they've proved nothing like what those three have. So I think Groves needs something. He needs a stepping stone to get to that level. If, 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 I, was in that, if I was in that blessed position of being George Groves' promoter or manager. I know he's got an assignment lined up. What do you think about Groves against Lucien Boutet? Butte, yeah, that's a, that's that's certainly something that would be more appealing to me as somebody um, in George Groves' team or as George Groves. I'm sure Groves wants to fight the best. He's made it quite clear he wants to fight the best. But Butte, as Froch keeps reminding us, um, certainly now appears to be damaged goods after that beating he took in Nottingham. Um, he, the, the, that fight was so one-sided. Um, oh, sorry, the finish was so one-sided. And you would you would certainly put someone like Groves in with Butte. I think I agree with you, though. Last week we were talking about it, weren't we? We were talking about Groves maybe fighting a Brian McGee or yeah. or, or possibly a Stieglitz or Abraham before, before sort of sharpening his tools for the elite. So I think... And then there was a one from Conor Jones that said, what next for George Groves? Can he push the big time? Um, big time. I think I think he will be ready to push the big time, but there's no rush. And I'd say, in two years' time, let's see where he is. I'd, I'd say two years a fair assessment for him to, you know, you'd think he'd have another six or eight fights, and yeah. and, and you know what what's the rush? The the thing that I'd still like to see George in is a good hard twelve round fight where he follows instructions to the letter all the way through. Yeah, no, I, I agree, I agree. I think, and and what you say, what what is the rush? I think. Uh, th- there was a change. There was a change in George. He was initially saying there was no, there was no rush for him, and he would say that himself. He's like, I don't want to hurry myself. And all of a sudden, in the last twelve months or so, it has been a case of right. I want this world title shot. I want it now. Mm-hmm. And I think perhaps it's been because it was kind of put on the table with Stieglitz, and that then put it in his head that that's where he that that's the level yeah. that he's at. I'm not saying he's not at that level, um, but I don't think there's any harm. When, when George is at the age he is, and the guy, is, he's, he's, he's moving up nicely, he's progressing steadily, let's not leap in. Let's not leap in with somebody, with somebody that, that, that could potentially put him back so far that he'll never get back to where he should have been. He's 25 years old, had 19 fights, won 15 by stoppage. He's impressed audiences in America. He's been on box office over here with the DeGale fight. Um, you know what's the, what's the hurry? You know he's there ticking, he's ticking a lot one. of boxes as he goes along, isn't he? So give him a couple of years, and I think he'll be there. I mean, he'll be 27 at his peak. Yeah. And and you know I think he'll be definitely up there pitching for major honours. Yeah. Um, be interesting if he talks himself into a bigger fight before beforehand though. Um, is an interesting question from Marcus Bellinger. Um, with top rank taking more fights to Asia, should America boxing be fearful? It is a really good question. Um, I think American boxing has, has, has possibly been fearful for a number of years, and it hasn't just been. 
I think it's been the threat of the whole world, really, in terms of. I mean, the heavyweight championship has kind of located itself over in Europe. They've got it? massive in insecurity Europe. about the heavyweight division. At yeah, the moment, yeah, of they? course yeah. they have. Yeah, and they've had it for for a number of years. Um, I think it's a good thing that, that that boxing is branching out, and we've we've got it all over the world, and and you know the the, the rise of uh, Zushiming. Yeah. Um, well, not the rise, sorry, but his professional debut is the most watched fight in history or something. Um, I mean, if the, the fact that that many people are watching the sport can only be a good thing. I do fear, I do still have uh, kind of this romantic notion that, that, that most big fights, particularly heavyweight ones, I like to see them take place in America. I like that. Um, and I do think there has been a slip from of interest in America in boxing, and I, I think it's, it would be hard to dispute that. I don't think the sport is dead over there. I think the numbers that pay per view are doing um, would, would 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 suggest that that's not the case. Um, is it? What's? Oh, I've forgotten the question. Should there be fear? Should boxing? Should America boxing? No. Should be happy. Should be the world should be happy, and America America should maybe take the chip off its shoulder. Yeah, I think possibly, just um, just my two cents on that. You look at what Pacquiao did and the Filipinos going to America and, and all the rest of it, can you imagine the Zushiming fight in Las Vegas? Yeah, it's a really good way of looking at it, yeah. And you think how big that could feasibly be for America. Uh, yeah. you know, there's a big opportunity there for America. And obviously, he's promoted by top rank, as Marcus says. And, and um, you know, I think that's um, there's there's a big opportunity there for top rank, and they would have seen that. So... Um, the last tweet that we've got here um, is um, to both of us. How competitive do you feel a Hay Fury fight would be? And do you think it's pay-per-view worthy? Now this took us on to the next sec section of the podcast. Let's not dwell on it too much, but obviously answer the question and, and then we'll just have a little bit on Hay and Fury. So answer the question, Matt. What, um, what, do you think it's pay-per-view <laughs> wor wor worthy? And what, how competitive do you think it would be? I do think it's pay-per-view worthy. I think you've got. Um, oh, it's hard to you know, have, have. You know, that was my first instinct. It is pay, pay because pe people will pay for it. Whether the fight will be something like Hey Kessler is a different matter. Frotch entirely. Kessler. Sorry, Frotch Kessler. <laughs> um, <laughs> hey, hey Kessler. Yeah. No, sorry, Frotch Kessler is a different matter. Um, I think what you've got here is that you would have, you would have a build-up to f build up to a fight with their respective personalities like nothing we've seen for a long time. Uh, even Hayden Chisora, I think. Even, even, yeah, I think it would blow that out of the water. Um, and they're both so good for a quote. They can both uh, attract and repulse audiences with, with what they say. Um, that I think by fight time, um, the whole country would be aware this fight was going on. And a lot of them will be thinking about dipping into their pockets to watch it. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think these guys get coverage outside of the boxing media and even outside of the sporting media, which instantly takes it to a different audience and the type of audience that does pay £15 for a fight. Um, there's a lot that would have to be negotiated. Obviously, we understand that Mick Hennessy's are having ongoing negotiations with Channel 5. How would they feel if Tyson Fury ended up fighting on Sky Box Office? How would they feel if he had a one-fight deal on Sky Box Office and got knocked out in two rounds, and then they came back to Channel 5 with his tail between his legs? Yeah, true. Um, you know, there's a lot to factor into that fight. Um, it's fascinating, though, and, and it's one, funny enough, I was swapping, I was messaging with David over December yeah. during, during our break, 
and I was trying to convince him there was a big fight and I put something out on Twitter saying, I don't know if any of the listeners will remember, but I put something on Twitter saying how big would that fight be at Old Trafford? And I'm not going to claim I planted the seed in David's <laughs> head. But, you know, I think you're right. I mean, there's a, com- there's, there's a commercial there's a commercial mixture stroke explosion waiting to happen there, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, I do, I do. And I think... I think that you know, David Hayes been in the jungle and all that stuff yeah. and Fury's been in the press and done this, that and the other. It's just... You know, I just think that fight that fight sells itself on pay per view. Um, and sorry, let me just 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 following on from where we touched upon earlier when I was speaking to Elliot Wurzel, what he said about being pay per view worthy sort of hit me actually. And I know you could argue he would say this because he's obviously um, been in David's camp for a long period of time. But Froch Kessler, pay per view worthy because it was a great fight. Yes. Did we know it was going to be a great fight? We all hoped it would be and kind of thought it would be. Hey, Harrison, Audley Harrison, I'm not justifying this as pay-per-view. Or, to, you know, there have been things like that. And, and I'm not saying hey, uh, Fury would be as uncompetitive as Audley Harrison because I think he obviously wouldn't be. Um, I think what you have there is that you part of the value in that, part of the £15 you pay or your gate receipt is the unknown and you pay for that feeling, that anticipation that you have until the first bell. Froch Kessler, you paid for everything from the first bell until the final bell. Hey Fury, you basically, although you pay for the night, you basically sign in for the journey, the press conferences, the weigh-in, the sound bites, the media, all the hype, and you almost pay that 15 pounds, and then when the first bell goes, anything you get, that's good is a bonus on top of that mm, 15 mm. pounds because that's the feeling I get when I'm ringside at a big fight your spine tingles your hands stand up on the back of your neck and all down your arms and you get goosebumps and you get really excited and really just on edge about it by being in the unknown and that's something like that fight you could say that's a you know that's a priceless feeling it's true it's true and I agree with that I agree with that to an extent. I think the complaint comes when you get guys coming back from the pub and then they decide there and then, maybe five minutes before the bell's about to sound, that they want to buy into this fight. And then they hand over their £15 and it's a mismatch. It's something like Hay Harrison, which was, which was a gross mismatch. And you can understand why they make feel a little short change with things like that. But as boxing fans, I think boxing fans are not quite as fickle um, and I, I think this, I think this is perfect pay-per-view fodder. Um, and I think the fight, and you can't, you can't make the argument that although Hay is more accomplished, he's done a lot more. You can't say with quite as much, well, with n- anything like the conviction, you could say with 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 Hay Harrison that Hay was gonna, that Hay was gonna win, and he was gonna win easily. There's every chance that Fury could make this really difficult for Hay. I think there's a couple of couple of things that I think about the fight. One is, if Hay wins, then he's beaten a six foot nine contender for the Klitschko to get in line. Highly for the ranked, highly ranked. Someone who's highly ranked and, you know, close to a physical specimen as you can get to the Klitschko specimen might be the wrong word, but you know, in terms of physical size and attributes, he's about as close, close to Vladimir Vitali as you'll get. So it's going to be the loudest way for for David Hay to beat the drum for a Klitschko mm. fight is by not just 
knocking off a contender, but proving that he can beat another big guy, which is kind of what he did with Valuev in terms of getting the interest for the for the f- for the fight with Vladimir in the first place. Um, my my concerns would be that um, if David landed a right hand like Steve Cunningham did in the opening round or two rounds, and you got weeks and weeks of hype, then kind of people forget about the glorious nature of the absurd build-up that big fights get across the board. And it all just seems to get washed away and derided in 90 seconds, you think Tyson Spinks. I was about to say and Tyson Spinks, yeah. You know, and it all just almost goes down the pan. And you think in terms of pay-per-view in this country, off the back of Hey Harrison, off the back of Hey Vladimir, two things that left a sour taste, there's every chance, and I would say there's every chance, that this fight could fall flat. And again, there'd be a box office, a massive fail at the box office. Not in terms of take-up, it could be very successful, but with the aftertaste. Yeah, I agree. I think. Well, I think. I think that. I think that. And I completely understood it. And I don't want to knock anybody that gets in that in 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 the boxing ring at that level, or or, or at any level. But Audley Harrison, you could see in that fight why people were saying that he wasn't trying. I think he he was. He'd thrown one punch in the three rounds. I don't think you're going to get that from Fury, even if he goes in there and he gets knocked out in the first round. I would hope that we'd see some sort of belief, some sort of effort. And I think if you can see that, then it's not... It's it's easier to swallow, even if it's slightly disappointing. Yeah, okay, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. So, we've talked about fights that might be made. We've talked about fights that are coming this weekend. One has been signed and sealed, and it's Floyd Mayweather against Sal Alvarez. Um, I think... Um, we're going to have a heck of a lot to talk about next week in the aftermath of all the action this weekend. And next week we'll also go into some more discussion about Mayweather Alvarez and um, and look ahead to what's coming up through the summer because there are some good standout fights in the summer. Um, but then when you look at Mayweather Alvarez, it really sort of whets the the appetite for, the, for September. And as a consequence of that, the fight between Bradley and Juan Manuel Marquez has been pushed, out, but pushed back to October Another great fight. And incidentally, I just saw on Odds Checker a minute ago that Marquez has started a pre-fight favourite over the unbeaten Timothy Bradley, which is interesting. So we can come back. We'll be back to you, back with you guys next week. Um, we'll talk about those two big fights that have been announced for September, October. There might be some more um, hay and fury news. And we'll also be recapping all of the big action that's coming up this weekend, both on Box Nation and Sky Sports. So we'll see you guys next week. Thanks a lot. Get involved with all the best boxing banter at our forum, and that's forum.boxingnewsonline.net.